Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. I should say, my strengths. Here are the things that I think I should do. Like, maybe I'm a, I'm a PM so I can do some pro project management. Maybe I can do some interviews and hire some people. And maybe I can do some software development because I went to school for this, even though I haven't written a line of code since 2010. Um, and what about the rest? Uh, you can hire somebody to do it. So build your team more, get an expert to really build out your operations. Or maybe architecture and interior design is something you do once and isn't ongoing. So you don't have to hire a whole team. You just contract somebody and they do it. Like these gaps, these gaps are areas where you can identify and either outsource or hire a team to build around it or choose to do yourself, depending on how much time you have. Um, but the point is to, given your resource constraints, like scale yourself to be able to be the person who um, delegates to all the experts on your team and then, then make that freeze you up to then think about what does the next five years look like? What does the next 10 years look like? Um, does that make sense? In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. I'm really here to redeem myself, so thanks for being here to help me redeem myself because uh, at Uber we have these um, community service days where you can like volunteer and one of the ones a few months ago was this like um, career workshop for middle school students at Cascade Middle School. And so I went to Cascade Middle School with a bunch of Uber people and there were a bunch of other professionals there from like Boeing and other companies and it was cool because we got these little sessions with the students and you have like... 30 minutes to like tell them about what you do. And so if you're a software engineer, you'd be like, oh yeah, I built like that favorite app you use, you know, like I write the software behind it and I build stuff. And so I was like sitting there trying to explain myself um, and trying to help them understand what product management is. And I just like feel like I failed miserably. So um, I'm going to start with the same thing that I started that presentation with, but hopefully this one has a better ending than that one. So. Why was the iPhone so successful? What do you think? Just go ahead and raise your hand or yell out some answers. Just thoughts. Say again? App ecosystem. App ecosystem. Yep, yep, that's good. Yep. Simple. Simple, easy to use. Yep. It took a product that would be able to change over time. Change over time. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. They change the design. It's, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, those are all good points. Um, so um, here, this is the framework that I want to introduce to all of you, which is um, how I think about product management and how I think about my role. And when I talked about finding balance, um, what I'm really talking about is finding balance across all three of these dimensions. So we have the needs of people, so human values, your end users. We have 
the needs of the business, how viable is the business, can you make money, and then the feasibility of the technology. So how ready are we to build something? When you can do all these, all three of these things well, that is how a product really takes off. And so that's that bright red uh, center there. And so with regards to the iPhone, you all have some, had some really good points. So here's what I had. So um, just separating it into each of these three dimensions, right? Like on the human needs side, uh, really natural UX, like the pinch thing. Like I've seen, I don't know if you've seen these videos of like babies being able to use iPads. It's like very clear that the interaction model they've created is very natural to humans, even just innately. Um, Easy to use, one-stop shop. So having, I don't know how many of you had like separate MP3 players from phones before. When I was in high school, I had an MP3 player and I had my like flip phone and that was like the cool thing to do back then. Um, and the email kind of worked, but didn't, I didn't use it anyway on the phone. And so now you have one device that does everything. So simplifies everything in terms of like how your lifestyle is designed around the device. Um, uh, on the business side, like Apple does this very well, premium positioning, like everything costs a ton of money. People still buy it, people still love it. So they have a lot of margin to work with. And so they're not afraid to build very good products that cost a lot to build. Um, he said the word leapfrog product. Um, how many have heard that term before? Good. So yeah, basically like he drew that access, right? It's like, we don't want to just incrementally increase. We don't want to build something that's like easier to use, but not as smart or like smarter, but less easy to use. We want to build every, like something that's just like completely a different class. And um, it worked, right? After the iPhone shipped, like how many phones with buttons that flip or whatever have come out since then? Like almost all smartphones these days are a giant screen, right? So um, it, it worked. Network effects is it's around, around the uh, the point of the app store, and like the ecosystem they've created around this product actually enable them to make much much more money down the road, even on things that are not iPhone, including like accessories for the iPhone, apps, and the whole developer community around that. Right, um, so it it made the app the the device into a platform. You can sell ads on it now you can build apps and make money as your own developer, right? So uh, from a business perspective, that was very long-term thinking. Um, um, and technology side, like, of course, uh, lots of inventions there, like multi-touch. They actually didn't inv invent the idea of multi-touch, um, but they productized it and made it very, very um, accessible. And adaptive keyboard, of course, like, um, and related to the next point where, like, how do you distribute your next version um, related to that keyboard point where the, the, the device actually evolves with the use cases of the device um, when the use cases change over time, right? So those are just my thoughts. Any questions about, about that? Any thoughts? You say Steve Jobs is a product manager or is he more of a designer? Um, I would say that he did, I don't, without having worked at Apple in like, knowing the full story of what kind of culture he created and how, what kind of person he was to work for, I would say he did a very good job uh, painting a vision and pushing his team to deliver against it. So from that perspective, I think he was a little bit of both. Um, he definitely like, like had something in his head that was this product that everyone was going to use. But without Johnny Ives, right, it's unclear where he would be as well. So it's... it's um, 
I don't want to say he's like a product manager or a designer. I would say he's like a visionary, but something more concrete than that. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So keep the framework in mind. I'm going to keep referring back to it. So here's just kind of my first takeaway, which is successful products balance the needs of users, technology, and business. And it's only if you do all three of these things can you succeed. Because if you don't have users, you'll build something that nobody wants. If you don't have technology, you'll have a lot of ideas and not build anything. And if you don't have the business side, then you'll have a lot of cool tech that people love, but you'll just lose money for a very, very long time. Right? So we need all three of these to succeed. Okay? So um, coming back to this framework, here are some category of things that you might have to worry about as a PM. And I think one of the most frustrating things about PM is you ask the question, what does it mean to be a PM? What is the role of a PM? What do you do every day? And everyone answers a slightly different question, uh, in a slightly different way. And I think the truth of the matter is that uh, PM roles just are different uh, across different products, different companies, and it really evolves based on the needs of the specific product or the specific company. So what I want to encourage you to do is think about PM as a set of job functions rather than a role. So a set of things you do, not one concrete thing that role that you sign up to do. So how is this different? Um, so let me just talk about each of these dimensions, like some ideas for what you might have to worry about as a PM, depending on what you're working on, is like on the human side, there's obviously like user research, understanding the needs of your customers, how they like to interact with products, what their lifestyle is, how your product fits into their lifestyle, um, designing in, against that, those requirements, how do you then like market that product and talk about it to the press and in the news, and like brand, like if people feel good about your product, are they more likely to buy it, and so on. So a lot of like touchy-feely, like getting to know people stuff, but then also, of course, like talking to the business side, to do something big, you have to have a strategy for it. You have to choose your path and have a goal in mind. You have to have a business model that is viable and make money over time. Um, you have to think about your unit economics. How much money do you make or lose for each unit of whatever it is you're building uh, that you sell? Um, you have to run financial models and analyses to make sure that you're not going to run out of cash you know, halfway through your development cycle. So a lot of business concerns there as well. And Technology, so of course, like engineering, developing stuff, maintaining stuff, making sure things scale, making sure things are reliable and don't break all the time. How can you possibly do all these things as one person, right? Um, I, think, I think a lot of people refer to PM as the CEO of the product, and so if you're the CEO of the product, which one of these are you accountable to? Like, all of them. But how many of them are you the expert at? Like, personally, I think none for me. Um, there are definitely people at Uber who are better at any of these things. Like, name one of them, I can name somebody at Uber who's better at that specific thing than me. Um, so this is like not painting a very good picture for PMs, right? But, <laughs> but I'm not done yet. So there's also the, don't forget about the mere existence of everything here, right? Who drew these circles to begin with? Like, where was the vision set? Who decided that this company should offer limos on, on demand? Uh, like the vision has to be set somewhere, and um, this is the one area where maybe I could say I am the best at for my product, and um, 
it's because I am the only one who spends all my time looking at all three of these dimensions together. Okay, so this is very abstract. Uh, I will do an exercise with you very soon to make this more concrete, but any questions about this? Um, as an engineer, engineering discipline person who uh, moved to PM, it was very hard to let go of the fact that I am not, no longer good at anything <laughs> as far as on my team. Like, design, I'm a designer. Engineering, I have a team. Uh, you know, like, uh, anyways. Um, okay, so where does PM actually fit in all of this stuff? So I am going to say that PM is actually like one of the most transferable skills a human can possibly ever learn. Um, and and to prove this point to you, I am going to uh, use an example that is not at all software related um, and walk you through kind of how I feel the role of PM actually maps to that world. So I'm a tennis player. So um, the first question is, ask yourself, what does your product need to succeed? So you have to first decide what product you're building, of course. But once you decide on what product you're building, what does your product need to succeed? So let's say today that uh, I am going to build the best tennis resort on the planet. Okay, it's going to look something like that probably, because you know, it's Seattle and they get a lot of sun over there, right? So I have this picture on the side to help remind us, bring us back to that framework. So, tennis club, do I look like someone who can remotely like do anything about starting a tennis club? Like I don't, I'm like I don't like I play tennis for fun, but that's about it. And I know nothing about hospitality. I know nothing about architecture, design, uh, construction. Um, I don't know any pro tennis players except for my friend Roger. Like, this is this is crazy, right? I want to start a tennis club. So, so what? So, but then that leads you to my second question, which is, what are the strengths of your team members? Okay. So now that things look a little bit better, right? If I have Roger Federer on my team and I'm building a tennis club, that's pretty good. But why does that feel better to you? That I have Roger Federer on my team all of a sudden. Like, why is why is this picture a lot like riskier than this picture? All of a sudden. It's much more desirable. You think he's more desirable than I am? No. Yeah. <laughs> much more. Exactly. That's he's the expert, right? He's like, in my opinion, the best tennis player to have ever lived. So he would know all about tennis. And he also has money, right? The guy is worth like half $500 million, right? You don't need to worry about VCs, right? Like he's got the network of pros, right? He could probably find you a coach just like that, right? Um, he's probably been in a few five-star hotels in his life. He probably knows what good hospitality looks like. He might not know how to run the business, but he knows what the experience feels like, right? So this feels better because I have a very, very strong expert on my team now. Like in my dreams, I have him on my team, but I can, I can dream about it here. So think about what the strengths of your team members are. And if you have a really good team, uh, it's actually a really good problem to have if they're all really good at what they do and you don't have to do any of what they do. Like if you have a really good designer, you don't actually have to spend that much time designing the user experience. If you have a really good team of engineers, you don't have to write any code or design any architecture or databases. If you have a really good user, user experience uh, researcher, you don't have to spend your time doing so much so many usability tests, right? These are all things that you should think about when you build your team and they help 
make you scale as a PM, who's supposed to be driving the thing forward, right? Again, the drawing of the circles, like step above and think about what your team is good at and let them be the experts, okay? Okay, so think about all the strengths of your team members. So now, now you have a team, you know what they're good at, um, where are the gaps, okay? So if, go ahead. So wouldn't the PM, I mean, wouldn't the PM do a bit more to understand that the customer driving? So can we, okay, what I'm trying to say is, you know, how can we give that just to US researcher? Is it the PM also be, shouldn't it also be more? Yeah, that's a good question. The question was, uh, should the PM, shouldn't the PM do a lot more UX researcher to understand the customers, right? And I think my bias personally is yes, but that's just me. There's no, there's no requirement saying like if you had the best user researcher in the world and they wrote really good reports and recorded videos that, that you personally have to be doing the research yourself, right? Uh, in fact, like user research is an entire discipline. There are people who go to school to be trained professional user researchers and they do these like one-way mirror rooms and stuff. And so um, if you have someone who's really good, it's crazy if I hire this person and I go do the user research myself, right? I, should, I can go and watch and I can go learn and stuff, but, like, but if you had a million other things to do, then you can prioritize and say, do I really need to spend time on the user research or do I just trust this person to give me all the insights I need and inform the designs, right? That's a decision you can make for me on your day-to-day. -day. Does that answer your question? Good question. Any other questions? Okay, so once you have your team, let's say my team is just Roger and I. Uh, so here are some ideas of like what the two of us together might still struggle at uh, or need to do. So uh, Roger probably doesn't know about running operations. He's not, he's probably never like made a bed at a hotel, but he's probably been at very many nice hotels. So hospitality operations wouldn't probably be something that he would do. Um, project management, of course, a lot of people working together, we gotta coordinate the efforts and make sure we're all aligned on schedule, everything. Um, for a club to look like that, you gotta design it. It's gotta have a uh, useful floor plan, all of that, how many courts do you have, all that stuff. Things gotta look nice. Construction, management, actually building the facilities. Hiring and training of staff, uh, and even within each discipline listed here, different training and different hiring skills are required. Um, facilities management, once you actually establish the club, who's gonna run it, how are you gonna run it from day to day, how many people do you need, how much do you pay them, all that stuff. And of course, a little bit of web and app development on the side. Maybe you want like a portal for scheduling courts or booking a training session or something, but the point is like, software is actually the least of your worries here. Right, this is not a software product. But, uh, now that I know what my team is good at and where the gaps are, I can actually go and do a few things. Like, maybe I should say, my strengths. Here are the things that I think I should do. Like, maybe I'm a, I'm a PM so I can do some pro project management. Maybe I can do some interviews and hire some people. And maybe I can do some software development because I went to school for this even though I haven't written a line of code since 2010. Um, and what about the rest? Uh, you can hire somebody to do it. So build your team more, get an expert to really build out your operations or maybe architecture and interior design is something you do once and isn't ongoing. So you don't have to hire a whole team. You just contract somebody and they do it. Like 
these gaps, these gaps are areas where you can identify and either outsource or hire a team to build around it or choose to do yourself, depending on how much time you have. Um, but the point is to, given your resource constraints, like scale yourself to be able to be the person who um, delegates to all the experts on your team and then, then make that freeze you up to then think about what does the next five years look like? What does the next 10 years look like? Um, does that make sense? Okay. Cool. So here's my second statement, which is PM roles are often defined by the largest competency gaps on the team. And your job is to know those gaps. And in order for you to know the gaps, you have to know your product and your team really, really well. And um, your job is to find the gaps and then decide to do something about it, whether that is we should push for headcount in data science or we don't actually need that much data science. I'm going to write a little SQL query and just you know, run it every month. Um, or we need more engineers, or we need a designer. So your job is find the gap and do something about it. And because of this, you are often the, in the best position to drive the vision and strategy of your product, because you're the only one who is looking at the entire picture and thinking about the trade-offs between each of the dimensions and thinking about where the gaps are and where you need more help. And, how much better the product could be if you had two more engineers or one more full-time data science or if you didn't have to uh, do so much user research yourself. Um, does that make sense? Okay. So, let's do some practicing. How are we doing on time? 7.10. Okay, cool. So, I have uh, two products coming up. Uh, there are things that I have worked on a little bit here and there in my, in my past. And I want you to tell me what kind of product manager we need? Okay, thinking about those that Venn diagram. Okay, business, users, technology. Okay, ready? First product. Look familiar? <laughs> okay, so real estate search. This is, ladies and gentlemen, the company that invented map-based real estate search, Redfin. Um, so the idea of putting pins on a map and having details about the homes. Um, very, very user interface heavy project, lots of screen real estate, probably an iOS or Android app to go with that for those mobile users, uh, lots of pictures and design and stuff. So let's use that framework. Like, What are some very, very heavy needs on the user circle to start? Like, What do we need to do? Where's the gap? What kind of team do you need to build to build this? People who understand real estate, very good. So real estate knowledge, very important for building a real estate website. Good one. What else? Front end developers. There's a lot of UI here, right? Data science for the pricing. So some of this, some of this, uh, the data we show here, we need to know what we're showing and. Refin has an estimate per estimate thing too, so like how do you predict the prices and stuff? Relevance algorithms, that's great. That's data science as well. Yep. Uh, somebody said UI developers, so who's gonna design this? Like this is easily like at least one designer's worth of work for like a few months, right? <laughs> like look at all this UI. 
And maybe you would have a, fo a designer focused on mobile, separate from web. And if you uh, minimize the screen, what happens? Does it collapse? Does an app go away? Um, mobile web, right? So, and of course, with that, lots of user research going into it. Um, cool. What about the tech side? What are some of the complexities on the tech side? Scalability, yeah. You might get a lot of visits. Geofencing, yeah, some data there. Yeah. Good. Yeah. A lot of data science stuff that I think we talked about before. Yeah, data science stuff, you have to, uh, if somebody created the data for you to show, you have to pipe it in the system and pipe it out on the map or the, on the UI. Yeah. Okay. Machine learning. Okay. What about on the business side? How to monetize, so yeah, so like click-through rates and impressions and stuff like that, yeah? Prioritizing markets, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. It's not, not that obvious from just looking at the screen, but it's a good one. Yeah, so really good. So in general, I think my assessment of this, a feature like this is like, it's very consumer-facing, right? It's very, very heavy on UX. There's a lot of front-end. This is one of those teams where you probably have um, a PM to a relatively small number of engineers because the PM has a lot of user experience stuff to worry about. And it's, it might be one of those teams where you think about having a user researcher doing, doing the usability studies for you. Uh, you definitely want to have des designated designers because if the PM was doing the design, that's all they would be doing. Um, there's enough design work here to warrant that. And um, Redfin is a real estate brokerage. So this page actually doesn't quite get at the real estate brokerage business at all yet. Uh, it's mostly showing you data, showing you homes, trying to make a re really engaging experience. So I would say it's actually relatively light on the business side. Um, and tech side, yes, there's scalability stuff, there's uh, data piping here and there, um, but in general, the idea of building a map-based UI with some UI next to it, like, not rocket science at this point, right? Like, a lot of websites do that. So it's, it's not like, you know, building the next version of, like, AWS or something like that. It's not computer science in its, at its cutting edge. It's applying engineering to, to a new use case, right? So probably most things you want to do here are feasible one way or another, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Switching gears a little bit. Uh, the second product I want to talk about and have this exercise on is the data platform at Redfin. So you, uh, this is just a landing page, and that's because the product itself actually has no UI. Uh, I owned this for three years at Redfin, and um, Redfin actually pulls data from like over 100 different databases every 10 minutes to ensure that the homes on Redfin are fresh and relevant all the time. And... Um, Things that we cared about are how fresh is the data? Like from the moment that somebody says, I want to sell my house, how long does that take to go from pressing the button to showing up on a map on Redfin, right? That was one of our core metrics we tracked. Uh, how accurate is the data? How often is the data stale? Um, so that was a product. I put product in quotes because product, the word product can be anything. So what kind of team do you need 
to build the data platform at Redfin. How is it different than the previous case? It's much more focused on technology. Much more focused on technology, a little bit more back-end. But specifically, like, what do you think are like bullet points under technology that, that we have to do? Decrease latency. Decrease latency. Reliability. Reliability, it's got to work. The database is down, the map doesn't load, <laughs> right? Yeah. Accuracy, yeah. Monitoring and checking the accuracy of the data. Any? Image compression, yeah. Image images were a big, big concern. Yeah. So how does this work? Do you post a, your home, and then does that be the, the product? So. Uh, yeah, so in, in real estate, it's a good question. In real estate, there, every city has these things called uh, MLSs. I don't know how many people will hear homeowners, but it stands for multiple listing service. So basically, it's a database of uh, homes. And any time you are a real estate agent and you're helping a seller, you actually go and like put that home into the database. And if you are a real estate agent helping a buyer, you'd go browse the database. And so Redfin just integrates with those databases in every city to get all the homes for sale and puts it on one UI. Absolutely, yeah. So data normalization across hundreds of data sources, uh, not trivial, yeah. Um, and there's also um, a lot of behind-the-scenes work where uh, for a business to get data from another business, uh, a deal has to happen, right? A contract has to get signed, money gets exchanged. So I think I owned like easily millions of dollars worth of contracts just to get the data into Redfin, right? So I was part of the negotiation, so lots of business development work as a PM uh, you know, on this product, lots of SQL writing and data science stuff to measure latency and define latency even. Um, so basically no UI work. <laughs> uh, def definitely done the UX researcher on that one. Um, and yeah, lots of scalability work and stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to use these two examples because like, um, we often ask the question, like, what is the role of a PM? What is a good PM to engineering ratio? W what about PM to design? Um, do I have to know how to do UX to, do, to be a PM? Do I have to have a computer science degree to be a PM? Like, like, in my opinion, this is like highly controversial, of course, within the PM world, but like, in my opinion, it really just depends on what you're gonna work on. Every product and every company requires a slightly different PM. Um, if you're on a team and you're working on this product and the team doesn't have a user researcher but a very strong engineering manager and a lot of engineers, um, it might not be that important for the PM to know how to code. But it would be very important for the PM to be able to design a good experience because you don't have somebody to support you in that role. Um, and similarly, like, like in this case, having a technical background might be more important because you're thinking about that stuff all day and your customers are other product teams building stuff on your platform, you're not actually doing anything consumer facing, right? Um, so all this stuff just really depends. And if you uh, go out and look for a job and you're interviewing as a P to be a, become a PM somewhere, um, there are different philosophies on how to hire. Like I think Facebook does this like 
this model where you actually interview to enter the company, and then you change teams um, when you get actually get an offer. You choose which team you're on. And so in that philosophy, it's more like a we believe there is a generic set of skills PMs should have, and and we want to vet those. And then once you're vetted for those, then we assign you a team. Um, other companies do more like this role requires these competencies. Let's hire against that. And how important is a CS degree? How important is you know user user experience uh, design? And then hire into that. So there's different different uh, philosophies, different trade offs there. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the needs of the PM are very different depending on which team you're on. Um, so yeah. Yeah, good question. So who, who owns the vision? Um, that depends highly on the culture of your company. So uh, Redfin is a fairly centralized decision-making culture. So we get a lot, we, we got a lot of direction from the executive team around like where, what you should do as a team. So as the, as the data team, um, we knew it was really important to the business to make things fast and reliable, right? So from that perspective, I didn't have much wiggle room on that one, but I did get to say, listings should always be on Redfin within 10 minutes, 99% of the time. And that was our North Star for like two years to get there. Um, when we started, it was like 80% half, within half an hour or something like that. And so, so then you, you can like, define what success means within those boundaries. Uber is a highly decentralized culture. And so uh, Uber is actually in some ways like a very fun place to be a PM, but because the level of autonomy you get is very high. So in that case, we are actually like the ones saying, this is what this product should look like. Because um, there's not as much like top-down direction, for better or for worse. Um, does that answer your question? Any questions? Other questions? Did I redeem myself? Did that make sense? Okay, cool. That's good. <laughs> I think that's it. Okay, so uh, I will leave you with um, uh, a book. Uh, so this book, uh, it's called First 90 Days, and uh, the author is coming from the position of you are starting a new job whether that be you're entering a new company or get, you're getting promoted into a role that's a little bit different than your current role. Um, whatever the case, you are doing a new job that you didn't do before. So the, the book is talking about what you should do in your first 90 days on that job to set yourself up for success. And so it talks about strategies for like evaluating your product and how things are going and whether you're in a turnaround situation or you're sustaining success or things like, things like that. Um, the reason why I find it valuable it is not only because of I started at Uber a year ago and I read it when I started, but also just like I think it's really, really important to scope out not only your product so you understand what you're building, but also who is on your team. Because the way that your team needs you and the places where you add the most value as a product manager depends on what your team needs you to do. And sometimes the same product with two different teams would need a very different PM to help them. Um, so read the book if you want to. At the very least, go back, think about your team, what they're good at, what kind of PM would they need, and how is it different than maybe another team that's next to you and what kind of PM they need. And then um, 
if something, if you realize that there's something that they really need that you're not doing, think about doing that. And then something that they don't need, think about doing that thing less. Um, so with that, thanks for listening. I'll be around for questions. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.